Anyway, hope you all had a good Christmas. This is it. This is the last Sunday right here, 2020. So I feel completely honored, even though this is traditionally the Sunday that senior pastors look to the bottom of the chain and say, yo, this is yours. So I don't know if I'm honored or, or what, but I am excited, I'll tell you that much. Um, this past, hey, come on, amen, amen. These, uh, these past few weeks, we've been going through our Christmas series, right? He is worthy. And man, just, I just want to give it to Nick and just uh, thank him for, man, really just taking lead on that series. I love that. And just through the Christmas season, what message could be better than he is worthy? And honestly, that's, even though we're, our series is done, I really just want to kind of continue that idea of the worthiness and awesomeness of our God. And so that's really what I want to talk about today is just God. And, and the title of my sermon is God Is. And we could spend forever filling in the blank. God is this, God is that. But we only have a short time. And so I want to encourage you just to have your hearts open today. I feel so inadequate to articulate the grandeur and awesomeness of God. But I've been praying for weeks for myself, for you, for this Sunday. That man, God would just allow us to go out strong. And my desire is that we would behold our God today, church. And that we would catch a glimpse of his glory and that we are a capacity to enjoy him. Our, our values and our priorities would be shifted when we see God for who he is. When we see God in the gospel and the good news of Jesus that we would just stand there and say, wow. And so if you have your Bibles, go to Isaiah chapter 40. I'm not going to have you stand because we're going to read a ton of scripture today. And although... We're going to start by reading through this passage. I'm not necessarily going to dissect this passage today. I want this to kind of give us, uh, set the tone, set the mood for where we're going today. Um, and just to read this portion of scripture that really uh, just presents God in such an epic light. And let me give you the context for this real quick, okay? As we saw through our series in Exodus this year, the children of Israel, again and again, they, they show that they don't have as much interest in God as God has in them. And they rebel and they turn away, they turn to idols and they disobey God and they break the covenant again and again and again. For hundreds and hundreds of years this goes on. And God is merciful, God is patient and he sends his prophets, he sends messengers to say, look, y'all need to stop. Y'all need to trust me, y'all need to turn to me, you need to repent from what you're doing because I'm going to punish you. Like I said I would in the covenant, it's coming, it's coming. And they don't listen, they don't listen and finally God says, okay, that's it. You're done. And in 586... Nebuchadnezzar comes and destroys Jerusalem, destroys the temple that they loved. It's gone. And they, the rest of the remnant of Israel is carried away into Babylon. But God says, look, I'm not done with you. Okay, I still have a plan for you. I still love you. I still desire you. And so that is the context in which we find Isaiah 40. And it says this, Oziah, Bearer of good news. And even if you need to close your eyes or whatever you need to do to focus, just don't tune this passage out, please. Stay with me. Get yourself up onto a high mountain. O Jerusalem, bearer of good news, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up and do not be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord will come with a strong hand and his arms shall rule for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. 
He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. I love this, this picture of our kind and gentle God caring for us sheep. And then you get verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out the heaven with a span? God measures our reality from one end of space to the other with this and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure. God has measuring cups for all the dust of the earth. And weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding, huh? Who taught God what he knows? Certainly the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. He takes up the coastlands as a very little thing. Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beasts sufficient as a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing. And they are counted by him as less than nothing and meaningless. I didn't know you could get less than nothing. But all the nations to God are less than nothing and meaningless. Are you starting to get a little perspective here? To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? The workman melts a graven image and the goldsmith spreads it over with gold and casts silver chains. He who is too impoverished for such an offering chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a graven image that shall not totter. So Isaiah asks all these rhetorical questions, right? And then he brings up this ridiculous, stupid idea of idolatry. He says, you take this God and you think that you're going to find some, wood, some metal or some precious you know, material on earth and you're going to fashion a little deity for yourself. Oh, if you're too poor, don't worry about it. Just go find a good, good chunk of wood. You could have someone fashion. Isaiah's like, how ridiculous. How ridiculous. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits upon the circle of the earth and the inhabitants are as grasshoppers, as insects, who stretches out the heavens as a curtain and spreads them out as a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Those who rule, those who have power, they're nothing to God. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their tree take root in the earth when he will also blow on them and they will wither and the whirlwind will take them away as stubble. To whom then will you liken me that I should be equal to him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their hosts. Now we're talking about stars. Who brings out their hosts by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Why do you say then, why, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my justice escapes the notice of my God? Huh. Have you not known? Have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he doesn't faint, nor is he weary. His understanding is inscrutable. The most brilliant among us cannot attain or comprehend the greatness and the knowledge and the understanding and the wisdom of our God. We do not have the capability as his creatures. 
He gives power to the faint, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. But yet this great, grand, amazing God, does he look to those who are the brilliant and the mighty among us? No, he looks to the lowly and the weak. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall utterly fall. Those who we think would have the strength and vigor of life, they're not going to last forever. But, but, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, and church, that's not natural. And they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. This is our God. And church, this is the statement that I kind of want to use to catapult us into the message today. A primary purpose for our existence is standing in awe of our God. And then we respond in worship. And then we bring others around us and say, oh my soul, look what I have found. Look at him. Isn't he the best thing ever? Do you stand in awe of your God, church? This is my desire for us today. This is my hope. That on this last Sunday, man, we would just meditate on our God and that it would cause us to just say, wow, for our walls to come down, for, our, for everything else just to fade for just these few moments that we have together. And that way we would look at God and say, like I say, I'm, I'm undone. Wow. Will you pray with me? Father, hallowed be your name, Lord. Holy is your name, and may it be kept holy. Lord, in your mercy, though we are undeserving and you don't owe us anything, Lord, would you allow us, would you cause us to experience your reality today, your presence, Lord, though you are here spiritually by faith, we believe that. Lord, would you cause us to tangibly experience that today, to feel the weight of your glory, to stand in awe of you, Lord, not, just, not so we can get, you know, tinglys down our back or whatever, but Lord, so that we can be changed, so that we can see there is nothing in this life that compares. There is nothing better. There is nothing more worth our time. There is nothing more worthy at all. You are the great God, the creator, Lord, and, and may I not just be manufacturing and trying to, 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 to manipulate us into feeling something, but Lord, may it be you, and so I am completely dependent, Lord, I'm completely dependent, God. I can get up here and I can say some words and they can sound maybe pretty or something, but it's empty, Lord. Great God, would you, would you condescend in your mercy, Lord? I trust you. And that's all we have. We just trust our great God. Show us who you are. Just like Moses said, Lord, show us your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, to talk about God, I have brought some friends with me. <clears throat> very proud of this. You know what these are? They are ants. Can you see them? Yes, you can see the ants? No, no, no. Exactly. Why? Because they are so small. And it is pretty cool though. You have to like look for a second and just not turn your gaze and then you can start seeing movement and it's really creepy. But um, this, was, this was fun. But more than this is ants, church. This is perspective. This is perspective because this is us. Okay? Oh, here's one. He's seeking the Lord. He's getting outside. Oh, well. He's good. He's safe. And not, they're not red ants. God, church, is very, 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 very big. 
and we are very, very small, and this is his creation, and so easily we are, we just get caught in the temporary and now and the smallness of everything that is going on around us, and we lose sight of the fact that, whoa, who is God? Do I really know him? Do I really believe in him? What does that mean? What are the implications of that reality on this little, small, short life that we are living, church? And the first thing I want to notice today about God is this, is that God is God. And I mean a few things by that, okay? Meaning first that God is very, very big. He is the authority. Hypothetically, it doesn't matter who God is. If he's God, he's God. And if he wanted to destroy us, there is nothing, there is no one that could rescue us. There's nowhere we could go. There's nothing you could do. And I want us to feel the weight of that fear for a moment that we are completely at the mercy of this divine being that we cannot see with our physical eyes, church. This is what Psalm 115 says, verse 3. But our God is in the heavens, and he does whatever he pleases. And we like to reduce God, don't we? Put him in a little box, make him like one of us. Church, God is not one of us. That's why Christmas is so amazing, because somehow he became man, right? But God does whatever he wants. You don't get to tell God what to do. No one does. God is not accountable to you. God doesn't have to answer to anyone. That is horrifying. That is horrifying. When you have someone who is all-powerful and answers to no one, is there anything more terrifying than our God? And church, another aspect of God being God is the idea that he is holy. And this is huge. And I wish I had more time to go into this. And a lot of times we think holiness, right? We think moral, moral perfection and purity, right? And that is true. But primarily, holiness is the idea of separation, of otherliness. That when I say God is holy, what I am saying is that there's nothing like God. There's no one like God. What I'm communicating there is this idea of holiness. That God is in a category all on his own, church. And if we are not holy... And anything that threatens his holiness cannot stand in his presence. It is annihilated. There is a power to his holiness, church. God, if I can illustrate it like this, he is like the sun. And though uh, there are many stars, right? The sun is unique to our solar system, right? And though it is million miles away, millions of miles away, yet it generates life on our planet, right? It has a power and a goodness to it. God's holiness is something that is good, and it has a power, and it gives us light to see, right? But what happens if we get too close and we venture too close to that power? We're gone. There's nothing like, he is completely separate, church. And a lot of times we get this negative feeling, even if we don't acknowledge it in our mind, we get this negative sense that when someone says, God wants to make you holy, or you should be holy, it's kind of like this obligation of like, okay, I need to do better, I need to live better. When the fact that God wants to make you holy, do you realize how glorious that is? Because he's not saying fix up your life, he's saying, I want to make you like me. I want to share my uniqueness with you so that you reflect me. Do you realize how insane that is? That this holiness that would destroy us in an instant without the blood of Jesus and the gospel covering us, we are now invited to share in. Church, God is God. He is big. He is holy. He is omnipotent, omniscient, 
omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. He sees all and knows all, church. God is God. And do you realize, even though sin has corrupted this earth and there's so much chaos, there's so much complexity to life, right? I just have a conversation with my dad and I'm like, life is so complex and I don't understand anything, right? Man, me and my dad having conversations, I'm just, that's fresh because that was us over Christmas, man. It's good. I love talking to my dad, but man, sometimes we're just overwhelmed with the complexity of life and perspectives. And you look at our world today, it is a mess. But yet somehow God is so big and so sovereign that he can orchestrate everything for the good of his children and his own glory. Is there a word for something so insane as that? God is God, and I want us to feel the weight of his glory and the weight of his power and how big he is, church. But thankfully, God is not only God and God is not only holy, but God is good. God is good. Psalm 34. Oh, I forgot to read a passage. Oh, let me read this. Revelation 15, 4. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. This is what happens when I don't look at my notes. I just skip good stuff like that. God alone is holy. And he, and nothing is holy unless he chooses to uh, bring that into his holiness, church. God is good. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you tasted? Stop. Stop with the church games. Of course, we know God is good. No, 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 no. This is way deeper and way stickier than we realize. Because this right here is what Satan played around with in the garden. And this is what he plays around with us. And we live our lives deceived in this weird limbo of saying, God is good, God is good. But then in the deepest part of us, we don't even realize we don't believe that. And so we have fear and anxiety and worry that rule our lives and create chaos in our lives because we really don't believe God is good or at least that God doesn't want the best for us. We'll get into that more. Romans 2.4 do you despise the riches of, riches of his goodness, tolerance, and patience, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Not the harshness, not the demanding, not the fear of God, interestingly enough. Paul says the goodness of God is what leads you to change. So have you tasted? Have you really tasted that God is good? We really need to ask ourselves, church, do we believe this? Because in the garden, right, we go back and Satan's telling Eve, hey, 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 no, 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 no. No, God's trying to keep something from you, Eve, you don't see. Because he knows something that you don't. He knows if you take the fruit, right, you will become like him. And he doesn't want that, right? He doesn't want that. He doesn't know what's best for you, right? He doesn't want what's best for you. So you need to take control. We believe this lie all the time. Are you listening? This is my life. Because here's the reality, right? We have our good, and God has his good. And when they line up, the world is at peace. Amen? But when they don't line up, what do we do? And we need to understand something. That either God is good, or we are not. Or we are. Okay? Only one gets to define good. Because when they come in conflict, what do you do? So either God is good or you are. And if God is good, then you are not. And if you are good, then God is not. And you need to own that and stop playing limbo, okay? You need to decide which one you believe. And let me give you an illustration, okay, how this works out in life. For weeks and months, actually, uh, we wanted to go down to my wife's family in San Diego over Thanksgiving. But because of 
some COVID concerns. Uh, it could be really bad if someone down there got it, right? So we didn't get to go for Thanksgiving, and so we've been looking forward. What am I doing? So we've been looking forward to going down for New Year's, right? That should be good. And here's the problem. I don't know if that's God's good for us. Is that good that, I would, that we would go down and spend time with my wife's family? That's a good thing. That's a good gift from the Lord, right? But God has not promised that to me, okay? So here is something that I'm not even, I'm not sure it's God's good, right? I'm not sure, but I really want it. And it's really good to me, right? But what happens here is if I don't submit my good to God's good, and I don't choose to believe that, Lord, whatever happens, you're good, and you are working for my good, and you are working for my best, and you are working for my happiness. I'm not preaching some prosperity junk here, okay? God is working for your true happiness, not your temporary fleshly happiness, not your toddler happiness, okay? Your true joy. And if you don't believe that, your life as Christian is extremely miserable. And it's going to be a hard, it's already hard, but if, you, if you're trying to serve a God that you don't believe is good, wow. Man, props to you. You've got some crazy duty or something going on there, right? Church, God is good. And so whether we were able to go down or not, I have to get to a place where I choose, God, whatever happens, I'm going to trust that you're good. And I'm not going to be anxious or fearful if this doesn't happen, if we get COVID somehow, right? And we're not able to go down there and there's the holiday, there go the holidays for us, right? Even though this is a small thing, this is just real life for me, okay? Right? We have to decide, God, are you good? And you have to make a choice, church. We have to be intentional about the goodness of God. Let me read one more to you. 1 Peter 2, 2-3. As newborn babies, desire the pure milk of the word. Desire the word of God that by it you may grow, if, this is a big if right here, if it is true that you have experienced that the Lord is good. Because we play these weird games, at least I do, right? Where somehow, yeah, I'll acknowledge God is good, but somehow I like do this weird like gymnastic stuff to disqualify myself from the goodness of God. Right? So it's like, yeah, God is good in a general sense, but like he's working good for all people, and so for me, I don't know what that means. And that's just the, Satan's enemy. He's like, ha, you're right. You don't know what it means. So you can't trust God for anything, right? Because he's not, he's good. But, but is he good to you? Are you hearing this? You have to personalize the goodness of God to you. You have to make it make sense to your mind where you fight and you say, no, 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 no. I'm not going to be anxious and worry about whatever. Because God is good and whatever happens, he is working for my good. And if I suffer, that's still good. Look at Paul. Was he miserable? No. He's a lot happier than any person living in prosperity in those days. And he suffered a whole lot. And he said, oh, the suffering is okay because I have fellowship in the sufferings of Christ and it is working for me a far more comparable, incomparable weight of glory. So bring it on, baby. Do you realize the rest and freedom when you realize God is fighting for your good? Do you realize you can let go of a lot of stress, a lot of worry? Does it, and it's like we don't believe it. It's like, no, that's too good. That, it can't be like that. No, it can. You need to fight to believe the goodness of God. God does not owe his creation anything, church. Yet he gives generously. And when I say generously, think the loudest, biggest waterfall that you've ever been by, right? 
as it rushes over, unceasingly, unstoppable over the precipice to the ground. The roar of it is deafening. That is the generosity of God to his children, that he delights to give you the Holy Spirit. He delights to give you what is good. Are you going to believe it? Or are you going to keep fighting and believing the enemy's lies? Because the enemy really has your good in mind, right? That makes a lot more sense. But I believe this all the time. Church, God is good. God is God. God is good. But church, God is angry. This is a fun one. Now, I don't want us to just accept this. I want us to learn to value this right here. Because this is a good thing. This is a good thing, right? Nobody likes to hear this, though. So is God angry? Let's answer this. Romans 1.18. This is how Paul starts his explanation of the gospel to the church in Rome. This is how he starts the story, okay? He's going to tell them the gospel. And this is how he starts. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth through unrighteousness. Psalm 7 verse 11, God is a righteous judge and God has indignation every day. Do you know what indignation is? I didn't, not really. Something bad. Indignation in the Hebrew is the word za'am. And you know what it means? It means to foam at the mouth. It means to be enraged, to abhor every day. That's a different picture of God, isn't it? You see, church, because God is good, he opposes what is not good. Does that not logically follow? If God is good, he doesn't allow what is not good. Let me read some more. Revelation 14. Oh, come on, somebody. Revelation. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, don't get lost in that right now, he also shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out in full strength into the cup of his anger. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. The smoke of their torment will ascend forever and ever. They have no rest day or night. Who worships the beast in his image and receives the mark of his name. What, what, what do you do with that? We can't comprehend eternity, much less the idea of eternal torment and suffering. Harsh is not an intense enough word. This is the anger of God towards all evil, sin, and wickedness. One more. Psalm 145, 20. The Lord preserves all those who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. This is not a game. If you want to play church, you can play church. But if this is real, y'all, we have something to think about. And you need to realize something about God is that he is intense. God is intense. His love is intense. His anger is intense. And we, you know, there's these objections, right? That no, if God is love, I mean, we all know it. God is love. He can't be angry. He can't have hatred. As if hatred and anger are the antithesis of love. Where really they are two sides of the same coin, church. Y'all get this, right? Those of you who have kids or anything you love, anyone you love, if you love something, you will be angry and hate that which threatens and opposes what you love. Do you not understand that? Because here's the reality. 
Anger and hatred are not the opposite of love, the antithesis of love. You know what it is? Apathy. The church, apathy is not something we see in God. He is intense. And he is good, and he is love, and therefore he hates what is not good. Because the lives of unbelievers, church, dangle above the flames of eternal torment by the very thin threads of God's kindness and mercy, which he can cut at any time. That's the reality. That is the, 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 the sobering, intense reality of our existence. And so the question is no longer, why does God punish evil and the, the wicked, right? The question is, why has he not yet? Why is he allowing wicked, evil things to happen, and wicked, evil people to exist and to enjoy his creation? the wonders and the beauty of what he has made. That is the better question. And the, the, the answer, church, we find in Romans 2, 5. But because of your hardness and impenitent heart, you are storing up treasures of wrath against yourself on the day of wrath when the righteous judgment of God will be revealed. Those are not the treasures that you want to store up. In every moment before we knew Christ, in every moment that unbelievers go without repenting, is just storing up more wrath and God is waiting in his patience and in his mercy and he's giving humanity time to repent because he's merciful. But one day that wrath will be revealed in full strength. We need to feel the weight of that church. And why do I say we need to value this, not just accept it? Because if you don't understand this, <coughs> you, you have a very cheap gospel. Your gospel doesn't have a lot of power. I mean, what are you rescued from? Sin has a price. And not just the, God is not just angry and has hatred towards the sin of Mao and Stalin and Hitler and these guys that did utter atrocities and rapists and murderers or whatever, right? God has wrath and anger towards the sin in your heart and in my heart because he is good because he is good and until you understand this you won't be able to grasp the awesome power of his love because church for those of you who believe in Jesus there is no more wrath there is no more anger there is no more hatred why? because God took that cup of wrath that cup of wine and he funneled it all for your sin, for my sin, on his son. What the heck is that? That is love. God is God. God is good. God is angry. But God, church, is love. First John. 4.16. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. 1 John 4.10, in this is love. So let's define love, John says, okay? Let's define it. Not that we love God. It didn't originate with us. We don't get to define love. God is the source of good, of love, of life. It comes from him. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Let me just stop for a minute. We don't like intensity. We like ease. 
We like ease. And some of you right now, you're, 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 you, you, can't, you can't make sense of this, right? And not, neither, none of us can, right? But you're like, no, no, God can't be that angry. And so, and so because to make it easier for us, we don't, we don't try to believe who God is. We try to reduce God to what I believe. Because he can't, it, it can't be that intense. It can't be that crazy, right? That's just too much. I can't, I can't handle that, right? So we try to reduce him. But no, 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 the answer is not reducing. The answer is understanding his love for you. The answer is understanding his love for you. And some of you are going to get hung up on the anger right now. Some of you are going to get hung up on this hatred for sin and the intensity of his indignation, right? But no, 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 cross over with me. Cross over with me to the gospel. God is love, church. And this is what Paul prays for us in Ephesians 3. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? And then Paul, with his crazy sentences, goes all over with this. So try to, try to decipher. And I thought about cutting some out of this to make it make more sense, but yo, we're just going to do our best. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would give you. So he's praying that God would give us something. According to the riches of his glory, power. He's praying that God would give us power to be strengthened by his spirit in the inner man, that new man. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend something with all the saints. What is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That might be the most insane statement in scripture. That somehow a human could be filled with the fullness of God? Somehow a group of sinful people might be filled with the fullness of God? How? Paul says, when you get a hold of this love, when you get a hold of this love, the church, you got to make this make sense to you because we like to assume the love of God. Just like we assume His goodness but we don't meditate on it, we don't think about it, we don't actually believe, church. Do you know that God loves you? And this is, this, is, this is a way, this is kind of a way of looking at the gospel that really helps me grasp the ridiculousness of his love, if you haven't already. So parents, pay attention, or anyone in here, imagine you have a child, Okay. The Father loves His Son. John 3, John 5. The Father loves the Son and has given all things to Him. Right? So you have a son or daughter, an only son or daughter. Okay, that's what we're imagining right now. But there are these orphan children that run the streets and all they do is oppose the Father's goodness and kindness. They rebel against the Father's wishes and the Father's reachings to them. And so the father says, because I love these orphan children, son, I want you to go and I want you to live among them and tell them of my goodness and tell them to repent of their ways. And so the son obeys because the son loves the father. And as the son enters this reality, reduces himself, humbles himself, what in the world? How does creation respond? By brutally killing him. Not just that, but do you think of the ridiculousness of Jesus before the Sanhedrin, right? Here are these religious leaders, the guys who really know God, right? Spit in the face of God. Have you been paying attention? The God we've been talking about, 
They spit in his face. They pulled out his beard. They torture him and mock him and make fun of him. And he stands there. And the son takes it. The son takes it and he's brutally murdered. And so what does the father do? Huh, parents? How you feeling right now? How are you going to respond to this obscenity? Right? You're going to get the Calvary. You're going to get the biggest, baddest weapon and torture device and you're going to make them all pay, right? No, the father says, no, this is the plan. And he now goes to those orphans and he says, okay, if any of these orphan children will believe in my son, I welcome them into my house. And I want to give them everything that belonged to my son. I don't just want to welcome them into my house. I want to adopt them as my own children, my own sons and daughters, so I can give them my son's room and everything that belonged to him and make them part of the inheritance of the son that I was going to give the son that they just killed. Do you realize the, what, what is that? Do you realize that's the love that God has for you? He welcomes you into the house and some of you are like, you know, Harry Potter under the stairs, right? Sure, you're part of the family, but we're going to lock you in this little thing. You can just have that part. Some of y'all are hiding out in a closet somewhere. Like, yeah, God loves me and accepts me, but he doesn't really like me right now. No, no, part of God's goodness and love is his kindness. God doesn't just love you, he likes you. And he has that love for you and he says, no, 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 no. Where are they? They need to be at the table because they are my son, they are my daughter, and I want them. Church, you are loved by God. Does anything else matter? Does anything else matter right now? Have you received his love because he is chasing you again and again and again? And he says, no, 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 you need to receive my love right now. You need to stop, you need to sit down, and you need to know that I love you. Because you've got some lies building up in your suitcase. And you're starting to believe those things. You're starting to think that you need to get love somewhere else. And God says, no, 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 you need to get a hold of my love. But church, what I see in myself is this spirit of just Satan. That some, for some reason, I don't want the love of God. I want to I be worthy of it. I want to be someone in his house. I'm going to earn it. I'm gonna, you, you see? I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do the best. Look at me. I want people to look up to me. Yeah, look at me. I'm right here along with my father. No, no. What a, no, no. And my pride stimulates those lies. What a deception we live in, in that state. No, you're not good enough. You're not worthy. Did you hear me? you're not worthy no one is but God if your love could still somehow be right there for me to take it any and every moment I just take it I don't have to do anything for it. I don't have to earn like I could just take your love and receive then, then yeah then just die to that pride and receive the love of your father church would you receive his love So we see God is God. God is good. God is angry. God is love. And now to close, God is glorious. And when I say God is glorious, what I'm also communicating is this same idea of God is light. Let's read some scripture. Revelation 21, 23. Oh, that city. The new Jerusalem where we will dwell in the glory of God. That city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. 
1 Timothy 6.16, he alone has immortality, living in unapproachable light whom no one has seen nor can see. To him be honor and everlasting power. Amen. And then 1 John 1.5, this then is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. So, so John says, look, we walked, we talked, we lived life with Jesus for three and a half years, the Son of God. And this is what we learned. This is what we learned, that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. And church, the, 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 the glory of God, the weight of his brilliance, the weight of his glory cannot be experienced in its full strength in our form right now because we would be utterly annihilated. Because what is the glory of God, right? The glory of God is the combination and the summation of all his properties and characteristics. It is the imminent reality of who he is. It is the revelation of himself, the fullness of his presence. It is everything good, everything we desire. And I don't know about you, church, to be honest, my life has been really good. I've been really blessed. Yeah, there's been some hard times. There's some really dark moments. But church, my life has been good. And I've had some really high highs. I've enjoyed some really good things. But even in those most high moments, there's still a hunger in my heart. An unsatiable hunger that just says, man, there's got to be more. I just, I need more. Do you have that? Because you know what that is? That's a hunger for the glory of God. You were made for it. You were made to seek it out, to find rest in it, to find completeness in seeking and reflecting and experiencing just glimpses of his glory now, anticipating it being revealed in its fullness when we see him. Do you want that? you want the glory of God because I think you do but what happens is we don't like that unsettledness we don't like that subtle pain and so I'm just gonna play a game on my phone I'm just gonna go watch TV I'm just gonna go do something I'm gonna get these I'm gonna get all this stuff and I'm just gonna be busy all the time just busy 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 just getting all these things taking care of my life these things have no clue what's going on that there's something higher than themselves. Church, you were created for the glory of God. Do you want it? To experience his beauty and his majesty and just say, wow. Wow, there's nothing else. There's nothing better. It's just him. So what do we do? John 17, 3, Jesus is praying for his disciples and this is what he says. This is eternal life. Okay, this right here. Let's define eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That this great, grand, amazing God looks to you today and says, I want to know you. Not from a distance. Not for you to commit your life to some religious system. I want to know you. I want to be your everything. I want to be your life. I want to give you and show you my glory and who I am because I am what you need most. I am what you hunger for. And he says, would you seek me? Would you seek me, church? You see, God is like the ocean. If you were dropped in the middle of the Pacific Ocean by yourself, you would be drowned in the weight of its glory. You couldn't swim far enough. 
couldn't get out of it. You, you, you're just nothing, right? It's, it's so vast and powerful and glorious, we can't control it. Similarly to God, right? But if you are covered and clothed in the scuba gear of Jesus, you could spend your entire life searching the breadth and length and depth and height of the ocean. And at the end of your life, you would have ju just discovered but a fraction of its glory. How much more our God? So church, would you dive in? In 2021, would you seek the Lord? Are you seeking him? What are you seeking? Do you know? Do you even know what you're seeking? Let's close with the words of the prophets. Amos 5, 4, Indeed, thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. And Jeremiah 29, 13, come on, we know this. You shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You see, God wants you to seek him. He wants to be found by you, church. Think of the loving father, right? With, you know, his toddler. And they're going to play hide and seek. Is that father going to hide somewhere where he, his, his toddler's never going to find him? No, no, no. Get this insanity. The father wants to be found by his child so he can see the delight and wonder of his child discovering him. Isn't that an illustration? God wants to be found by you. And he's going to go hide and he says, hey, come find me. Come find me. Again and again and again. Would you seek him? Because we believe this lie. I don't know, my brain is weird maybe. Right? No, God's just going to hide forever. He's just going to keep hiding. And right when I'm about to find him, he's going to hide again. And he's just going to, you know, dangle the carrot in front of me. And I'll never find him, you know. Have you tasted? Have you experienced? Do you want more? This is our takeaway today, church. Seek to stand in awe of God. Seek to stand in awe of Him. Seek to find Him and say, wow, and to experience that wonder and that discovery. Nothing compares. I'm just lost. I'm just undone. I'm just lost in the glory and the presence and the mercy and the rest. My God, because all this intensity sounds exhausting sometimes. <laughs> Doesn't it? Like we think, man, heaven sounds so exhausting. Like I need some nights so I can go to sleep, right? No, 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 there is such rest in the presence of God in finding him. Oh, would you find him? Would you seek to stand in awe of God, church, and never stop again and again and again? God, oh, you who hear prayer, Lord, may I not just preach this and find myself wanting and find myself playing the game, but Lord, to stand in awe of you right now, to be broken by your love again and again because I want to be broken, Lord, because my pride gets, makes me hard. My need to be someone, my need to achieve something, my need to be worthy, my need to impress, all my fleshly desires make me hard, Lord, and they trap me in the prison of my sin. And so I want to be broken out by your love. Release, Lord. Thank you for your anger towards sin and that you will make everything right one day. Thank you for your patience and mercy on us. Thank you for your love, Father, that is always available. Oh, you need to hear this today, church. 
someone, you, God's love is available for you right now. Are you going to believe? Lord, how vast and how great and how awesome you are. Lord, grip us. Help us seek you. Help us chase your heart. So worthy, Lord.